It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Let's talk to Lord Andrew Lansley, former health secretary, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Lord Lansley. Good morning, we, Julia. Um, call me he, Andrew, please. Andrew, all right, then. I should call you Andrew. Thank you very much. Um, is the NHS going to be able to go? Well, I think we can see in Italy um, that there are very severe pressures, uh, even for a highly developed and very uh, respected healthcare system. So I don't think we should underestimate the potential um, stresses that it would cause in the NHS. Um, That we are um, amongst the best prepared countries in the world is undoubtedly true. And I think um, that has been uh, true for a long time, that the NHS has thought about this. Uh, Indeed, I remember it is several years ago that I was uh, health secretary, but uh, back in 2011, we prepared the pandemic flu plan. Now, it's a different thing. It isn't, a, it isn't influenza, and actually some of the differences uh, are very significant. Uh, but the fact that uh, the public health and NHS system in this country has been preparing for eventualities of this kind, uh, uh, including in, uh, right across the NHS, is, is the case. One of the central things, Julia, is, of course, the... The time at which it um, happens, the extent to which the NHS has time to prepare, uh, and in that respect, um, I think at the moment one can see that the containment uh, inside the United Kingdom has worked relatively well compared to some of the outbreaks that have occurred elsewhere. Um, we're told, and you say, we've been preparing for a flu, you know, flu pandemic, and you say just just knowing what to do in the event of a major crisis like this. However, we've also seen um, that we have seen a massive cut in the number of beds, hospital beds we've actually got in, in this country over uh, the last sort of ten years, a drop of some twelve percent. We now have far fewer beds per head of the population than pretty much any comparable Western European country. By I mean, by a huge factor in some cases. When it comes down to actually treating people who are severely ill. Yes, lots of people won't know they've got the coronavirus. Lots of people will just be having a mild symptoms and be at home. But when it comes to treating an awful lot of patients who are critically ill, we know that, you know, huge number of our acute beds are already full all of the time. We, do we, do, can we be sure we've got the capacity to treat the number of people who may become ill? Uh, well, it has been true, you're right, for, uh, for decades. Uh, there have been reductions in the number of beds, actually less so in in the recent years, but there, um, but the reason was very straightforward: is because the actual length of stay of patients in hospital for the great majority of procedures has gone down dramatically in this country, and that's a good thing. People don't want to be 
in hospital for a long period of time. But the, the defining um, uh, issue is the availability of um, suitably trained staff, uh, because most hospitals have the capacity to open wards to take over new um, and open new facilities if they had sufficient staff. So one of the um, central planning scenarios, of course, is to um, be able to look after people at home wherever possible so that those who are uh, having to be admitted to hospital are those who are most severely ill. Uh, and of course, for them, um, there will be relatively intensive nursing. They may well be high dependency beds where essentially you need a uh, a nurse to every two patients. Yeah, indeed. Can I just uh, bring you some breaking news that's just happened in the last couple of moments? The FTSE 100 just opened at 8 o'clock and it plunged within moments with it more than 8% down in early trading. That's down 500 points as investors also react to the oil price war launched by Saudi Arabia overnight, 30% off the price of a barrel of oil. This comes on top of the concerns about the coronavirus wiping off huge, huge, huge amounts of growth in the world economy. The, the, the effects of this virus are not just going to be felt in terms of healthcare. They're going to be felt across the economy, aren't they? Uh, yes, they will, although, strictly speaking, they should be um, time-limited. I mean, the, the, it, is, it is nobody's, uh, so far as I'm aware, it's nobody's expectation that, we, that the, um, even if the transmission grows and they, we have an exponential increase in the number of cases, that this is like to last beyond months rather than years. There may be a second wave of some infections next year but the extent to which we acquire immunity um, uh, herd immunity in the population through exposure in the course of the next few weeks is going to substantially dampen the risk of transmission in the future and some of the differences between this and a major um, flu pandemic are really significant so for example um, uh, with flu it, it was relatively um, really transmitted, and this isn't transmitted as easily, this uh, COVID-19, uh, so far as we can see. And that helps. It means things like some of the um, risks associated with moving about on public transport aren't as great as would be the case with a flu pandemic. Uh, much of the transmission is through quite close uh, contact between people. That means... Um, we can slow the transmission. It might be very difficult to limit it inside families or uh, inside households. But is that why we, we've not seen the government move towards, I mean, there's a meeting today, but by all accounts they're not going to move towards uh, you know, banning uh, you know, spectators at football matches and the like, simply because people are in close contact with people throughout their working day, throughout their family life, and there's simply no point at this stage, given that we've we've gone, let's face it, we're out of containment, we're into delay. There's no point in actually limiting ordinary daily life when people's risks are far higher in just doing what they do, you know, Monday to Friday. It's an interesting question. I, I, I won't be around the table, but it's. I suspect, yes, we are still trying to contain, but we are aware that there will be community transmission. But it's not widespread in the community. It's in certain places the trouble is finding out where it is and acting enough but the general the general principle that we might well be moving to some social distancing is certainly uh, i think a valid one but that doesn't mean that people stop going about their daily lives and if i can give you an example of one of the key um, comparisons with flu with where flu was concerned in the past for example in 2009 when we had the swine flu outbreak it was quite clear that it was spreading rapidly amongst um, school children uh, and um, that school children, of course, 
with that particular influenza were often uh, at risk from the flu. Now, at the moment, the scientific evidence appears to be telling us that uh, COVID-19 is not a threat to young people uh, particularly at all. It's, it's actually a threat to uh, older people, sort of from my age upwards, if you forgive the mm-hmm. comparison. Um, less so you, Julia. You don't need to Thank you. Um, <laughs> and um, the, um, from my age up, therefore, the focus of attention, really, and I'm sure a lot of the discussion um, this morning should be and will be about what can be done by way of Um, offsetting the risks in care homes and in the care sector for older people. But school closures doesn't help very much. It doesn't help the NHS particularly because of so many um, uh, people who work in the NHS who have school children at home and would have to be looking after them. Indeed. And again, everything has a knock-on effect. It's thinking it in the round, isn't it? Lord uh, Lansley, uh, Andrew, uh, former health secretary, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, let's talk to an expert in this field. Richard Wilding, OBE, is Professor of Supply Chain Strategy at Crownfield School of Management. Good morning to you once again. Hello, Julia. Um, again, there's lots of talk that this was going to happen. And I, I can understand people going out and buying hand sanitizer. And even if everybody went out and bought two hand sanitizers, as, as lots, of school, uh, lots of supermarkets are rationing it to now, you would probably still see empty shelves. Some people, they're apparently buying, you know, 10 bottles, which will no doubt still be there in 10 yeah, years' time. I, I, unbelievably, in, uh, in my local town of rugby um i I was hearing a report from a neighbor who'd gone into one particular shop and somebody bought 24 uh hand sanitizers and then afterwards the shop assistant said i suppose we should have rationed it but the thing is this really does create some problems for the supply chain because of course how often normally in normal times how much hand sanitizer do people normally buy very small amounts i'd say i've got a tiny little bottle that's about two or three inches high and i and i'm using it when i need to and i want on the tube and I've had to touch something and I've still not finished that bottle in three weeks so goodness knows how many people need this this sort of this this amount but the thing 
I think what people have been thrown by is is that is people panic buying toilet roll. I mean, yeah. the loo roll, the loo rolls are, are emptying the shelves apparently in supermarkets across the country. Why of all things? I mean, let's face it. If it was norovirus, you might understand it. Coronavirus. Why? Why are people panic buying an item which has really nothing to do with this disease? Uh, really, it it is uh, it's quite interesting. I, I honestly think that part of this is something which is just stirred up by the media because a lot of the photos and things we're seeing is. Uh, toilet rolls disappearing and I suppose this is one of those sort of seen as essentials for life um, in many situations um, and so therefore we've been seeing this and we've seen this around the world as well in places like Australia and so on and so forth so why it's that particular product I don't know. When you think about the supply chain though for uh, for um, you know for toilet tissue that's actually coming from you know at the end of the day they're using sustainable forests so there's harvesting taking place so you have to think through that this is actually also rather like a um, some food products like peas for example there is one harvest a year with um, you know the to make the wood pulp and everything else which then goes into toilet rolls um, the harvest times are at particular times of the year so what we often find is we've got an awful lot of this stuff in the supply chain but when we get this type of panic buying the challenge is, is to actually move it through and we get an effect which is actually something called demand amplification so because everybody's got and bought all this yeah. new roll the next people then go and buy even more and this goes up the supply chain and um, it starts to create problems so I suspect that part of the challenge is is moving uh, toilet rolls through the um, through the supply chain is actually quite hard because they're very bulky items yeah I'm, I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why people notice it. if, you, if there are a few items if you if you if particular shampoo is out of stock that just takes up a little bit of space on a, yes, on a shelf right. whereas when the loo rolls out of stock you know, that's about sort of five metres across, and you go, yeah, hold on a minute. That's a big footprint, doesn't it, and, on the shelves? And, and isn't there an element where, again, people who wouldn't dream of panic buying or stocking up on anything and being perfectly sensible, they look, well, but if everyone else, if everyone else yeah. is going to be an idiot, I'm going to have to be an idiot too. And, and um, I think this is one of the issues, but... Uh, with the supply chain, we are able to actually make sure that we can reduce that type of, uh, of behaviour. And and how do we go about doing this? I mean, look, schools are talking about rationing basic goods. Um, Tesco, so the rationing yeah. uh, hand sanitizer, and Asda and other shops as well, but also some other staple items just to make sure that, you know, let's just, let's just keep it all sensible, folks, which I think is probably a good idea. Because, again, once people see the empty shelves, then it, then it yeah. gets it. But, but, I mean, how long can that go on? Well, I think in terms of, um, you know, actually putting in some sort of um, rationing, as it were, within the stores, I think this is just good practice because the supply chain is quite stable but when you're getting massive fluctuations in demand and this is you know probably multiple thousand percent increases in demand that does create some challenges and as you say you know your hand sanitizer has last three weeks I've, yeah. I've got one actually which I've had for a year yeah. um, which you know I often carry and I'm still using that one now yeah so this these products do last a long time so I think the thing is by rationing it people realize how little they actually need and then availability is going to return and i think this is the key thing that at the moment people may be noticing some shortages you know just over the weekend because of this sort of um, slightly um, irrational behavior and what we're then going to find is things will stabilize but i noticed that there was a, a survey done of shoppers and it's actually a very small percentage who are panic 
panic yeah. buying. So what we've got is a, a very small a minority creating real challenges for the majority. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing that we really need to sort of address. And then recognise that all those supply chain professionals around the world are doing this and it's in everybody's interest that these products are available Indeed. because people want to make money well we know, know that <laughs> supermarket bosses are going to be meeting with government ministers and advisors to try and talk about you know obviously they're not allowed to sort of club together to, to work on price or or supply yeah. because that's you know that's yeah, against anti -competition, the anti-competition yeah. but just suspending those rules so that they can coordinate with each other which seems very sensible yeah and i think the thing is is that around particular situations all the supermarkets do work together so if you're thinking about you know it really important topics as well within the supply chain say modern day slavery for example or exploitative labor um, issues like that all the supermarkets do come together so there are good relationships between the, the supermarkets around sustainability plastics and so on and so forth because they have to coordinate with their suppliers so this will be a topic because it is a you know a bit of a, a, a challenge at the moment that you know I think it's totally appropriate that they will come together and I know that you know the the process is that are in place um, within the supermarkets are relatively robust. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's there for planning for... Uh, adverse eventualities be it you know um, a whole um, for example a big freeze you know snow days people can't get to the shops pe the, the supply chain can't move things through so you can end up sh with shortages or for example you know when we had the um, ash cloud going up or the tsunamis in Japan you know there's lots of things which disrupt supply chains all the time and therefore you know there are very effective planning systems in place. Okay. All right, thank you very much indeed, Richard Wilding, ABE, Professor of Supply Chain Strategy at Cranfield School of Management. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Well, Federico Gatti is a UK correspondent at Mediaset Italian Television. He's just landed in London from Milan. Good morning to you, Federico. Good morning, Julia. Um, I mean, I think what's been extraordinary, I think, to many people is the fact that we've got the Italian government quarantining uh, Italians in in northern part of the country, and yet flights have been able to leave, trains been able to leave, uh, and apparently no no checks whatsoever on people arriving from northern Italy. You've just arrived in London. What what sort of checks were given to you? What what sort of information were you given? Were you, was your temperature taken? What happened? No, not, not at all, nothing uh, really, uh, and uh, I was very surprised because when you land in Italy, uh, in Milan, in Venice, uh, in Rome, uh, doctors checks, uh, check your temperature, um, and if you're above 37.5 uh, uh, degrees Celsius, uh, someone comes to you and asks you who uh, you have been in contact with, uh, where you have been, uh, just to try to track and monitor the movement of the virus. Here in uh, London, I landed yesterday morning. I had to go to Milan for a funeral, and uh, I had to come back when uh, um, the Italian government uh, decided to put the whole of uh, the north of Italy uh, in the red zone. Uh, once I arrived in Gatwick, nobody, no, I, I met nobody, really. Nobody checked on me. Nobody, there was no information available, and I was uh, really surprised. Um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I don't expect um, this country to go uh, on a panic mode. No. Uh, but at least uh, 
have the same checks that you can find in hundreds of airports around the world. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I think a lot of people are quite shocked that, you know, this is a country that's put its half, you know, a quarter of its population in quarantine, half the country geographically in quarantine, and yet we're just going, oh, carry on. And, and, and flights are still arriving and departing within that zone. Is this just a complete failure of the administration uh, of governance in Italy, or, or, or are they just simply not taking it seriously? Are they just going through the motions of a quarantine? or in the UK, because even the UK authorities should address this problem seriously. I, um, I live in London and I can see that there is a stark difference between uh, the mood and the atmosphere uh, and the pressure from the Italian authorities on the population yeah. versus the um, business-as-usual attitude of the UK one. Uh, I feel that the UK has three, four weeks of time um, to see... The UK can see what's going to happen here uh, in three, four weeks' time if nothing is done. Yes. So I mean, there, there must be some serious concerns of the UK authorities. You cannot carry on saying, just wash your hands, because it's not the case. It, you, you don't die for this coronavirus per se, but you put a lot of pressure on the uh, hospitals. Italy has uh, a number of uh, 366 uh, victims uh, as of now, uh, not because all of these people died for coronavirus, but because the hospitals are full, there are no uh, artificial respir- uh, respiratories, there are no rooms, there are no doctors. So uh, you know that the NHS is already in uh, uh, deep problems. You have to tell people not to gather for festivals, not to gather for pubs, but try to avoid the contacts. I'm now in self-quarantine. Um, in Italy, uh, self-isolation uh, uh, is uh, strongly uh, advised, yeah. uh, but also uh, the Italian uh, authorities ask us not to go to have a brunch with our friends, not to try to avoid contact. You, you, your, your view is that the UK government really hasn't got to grips with this early enough and we should be taking a lot more precautions a lot earlier or we are going to basically be where Italy is in a few weeks' time. Indeed, indeed, okay. Julia, indeed. Um, so I, I, I feel that the business-as-usual uh, atmosphere and, and uh, narrative uh, uh, from the UK government... Um, can be dangerous. Yeah, uh, I think I, I think don't a, want people to panic. No, but, but there's a different. No, but there's actually there's a there's a there's a lot of grey area between business as usual and panicking. Sensible precautions, which clearly are not right now being taken. Well, we're going to be talking to a, a government minister about that a little bit later on. Uh, Federico Gatti, UK correspondent at Media Set Italian Television, flew into London uh, yesterday from Milan. No checks whatsoever. Absolutely extraordinary. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. The Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowden, who joins us. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Obviously, we need to talk about coronavirus above anything else right now. Of course, the government is holding another COBRA meeting, sorry, chaired by the Prime Minister. It's the second meeting, um, looking at what the next stages are, looking more at delay rather than containment of the virus. Is it now clear that the virus cannot be contained and that we are moving into the next stage? Well, all our decisions are based on the facts and the evidence as presented to us by the scientists. And we will consider that when the COBRA committee meets this morning. At the moment, we remain in the contain phase. I think uh, you can overstate the the shift from uh, contain to delay. We are taking uh, appropriate measures 
to, to deal with this based on the facts and the evidence. We say appropriate measures. A lot of people are rather concerned by the fact that uh, Italy overnight on Saturday, uh, Saturday night went into full quarantine for a quarter of the population, some 16 million people. Uh, and yet flights were still able to leave and to arrive in the UK. We've spoken to a journalist who arrived in the UK yesterday uh, from uh, northern Italy. Not so much as a, a, a leaflet handed out, no questions, temperature not taken, nothing. Coming from a quarantined area. Are we sure we are acting on the facts and the evidence? We are. We're most definitely working on the facts and the evidence given to us principally by the chief medical officer. We, in respect of flights from Italy, there are enhanced measures on on those flights. No, there aren't. That's uh, the whole point. There aren't. We know. We know. We've spoken to someone who has arrived on a plane in the last twenty four hours, and there were no enhanced measures. Well, in respect of of, of those flights. Uh, if there is uh, evidence of anyone who has uh, a symptomatic, as we say, uh, the, the contact will be made with Public Health England before disembarkation of people from those flights. So that, that should be happening in respect of those flights. Should we, given that we appear to be sort of something like a month ahead of where Italy is, if you look at the figures we've got, I mean, three very tragic deaths out of 273 confirmed cases. Uh, Italy, 7,375 confirmed cases and 366 deaths. I mean, far or higher, biggest outbreak outside of China. Um, should we perhaps have been learning some of the lessons from their failures there to contain early enough uh, and in and limiting uh, people's you know uh, travel and access? Should we perhaps have acted a bit sooner? Well, in all the decisions we we take, we are guided by the facts and the evidence from the the scientists. And the the clear evidence and facts we're being given at the moment is the best single thing everyone can do is to wash their hands for 20 seconds. That's the best thing you can do with hot soapy water to prevent the spread. Clearly, if there are further steps that need to be taken, we will receive that advice and take appropriate actions, which is why we have convened COBRA again this morning. OK, now, one of the things you're looking at is uh, trying to tackle misinformation online. People, you know, not just scaremongering and fearmongering, but also quite a lot of misinformation about, you know, how to deal with uh, coronavirus. And you're going to be looking at a new fake news uh, unit. How's that going to work? So uh, we have a disinformation cell, so-called, in government that we, we step up uh, when we think there is, is a need to do so. We did so during the last general election and we've decided as a precaution to step it up now. The idea of this is to stop um, completely false and misleading uh, ideas and stories being spread purposefully through across the internet and panicking people. Uh, we work closely with the tech companies to take uh, action to, to deal with that. OK, and uh, I know that uh, uh, there's also some concerns about sports events. There are big meetings today with uh, uh, broadcasters and uh, and uh, uh, leading sports bodies about whether or not there will be uh, an end to uh, some of these major spectator events. Certainly in Italy, the Serie A football match is cancelled, the rugby has been cancelled. Are we looking at that happening sooner rather than later or not at all? Well, we're in, in constant contact with the, the sporting bodies and others affected, for example, the tourism industry through my department, uh, the sporting bodies came in last week to meet with the Deputy Chief Medical Officer. Uh, they'll be in again uh, today. And clearly we'll, any decisions will be based on the, the facts and the evidence. But I would say I think it is a little premature to be talking about cancelling or postponing sporting events. I was at Twickenham with the Prime Minister on Saturday. It's perfectly safe for people to be going to those events. Um, we will 
clearly, I just put the caveat around this that the advice may change at some subsequent point, but we are some way away from that if it happens at all. Okay, and in terms of help for small businesses, we know a massive impact on the tourism industry, not just in places like Italy or China, but a huge number of saved tourists which come who come to this country, particularly from Southeast Asia. Um, a lot of those uh, tourism companies, small businesses that you, you come under, you know, uh, the, 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 the culture, the tourism uh, remit, and like, in terms of help for small businesses, what, what can the government offer? Well, at, at this stage, we are working with all their representative bodies to understand the concerns and challenges they face. Clearly, we have the budget coming up on Wednesday, and the Chancellor has already indicated that he is willing to take whatever ne- measures are necessary to support the economy. And of course, that will include small businesses. OK, well, obviously, also mentioning the budget, uh, you are going to be overseeing a £1 billion deal to attempt to end poor rural mobile phone coverage. And this is obviously the bane for many people living in rural areas and anyone uh, travelling through. What is this going to actually involve? Well, uh, as you said, all of us face this frustration, not least of the people who actually live in these these areas about uh, these so-called not spots where you can't get uh, access to mobile phone signals. So we're doing a deal. I'll be signing it this afternoon with the major telecoms providers. Billion pound deal, half it coming from government, half it coming from them, and that will see a transformation in uh, rural coverage. So, for example, you take somewhere like the Lake District, we'll see coverage go from about 35% to 70%, similarly with the Yorkshire Dales. And across the whole of the United Kingdom, at least one provider will have 95% coverage. So this this is all about um, helping everyone level up, have access to mobile phones and also, of course, to, to, to broadband as well through the £5 billion investment we've made there. Well, indeed, a lot of people are going to wonder why it's taken so long. When these contracts are handed out to phone providers, why has there not always been a proviso in absolute condition? You've got to provide coverage across the country, otherwise you can't have the network uh, access. Well, this is basically that kind of deal with the, the the mobile operators. So if they fail to provide it, they'll they'll face a fine of up to ten percent of their revenue. Uh, so they're signing up to do this, and they they have to deliver it. And if they fail to do so, they will face those consequences. So this is cracking the problem. Okay, I must also ask you about a cartoon that was in the Guardian newspaper at the weekend, uh, featuring Boris Johnson and Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, the leaguered Home Secretary. It featured them both as balls. The, the Boris Johnson portrayed as you know portrayed as someone just sort of you know bit bit sort of uh, uh, you know bumbling and out of his depth. The Pretty Patel portrayed with uh, with horns and a, a a ring through her nose, almost devil like. Uh, many have said that that's actually a openly racist cartoon uh, by uh, Steve Bell. In in the Guardian, and uh, I just wondered whether you'd seen the cartoon or what you made of it. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I haven't seen the cartoon. I certainly know that uh, Pretty Patel, who I know well, uh, is a great Home Secretary. And if you look at the kind of challenges that she's facing around uh, sorting out the immigration system, around getting police numbers, she's a tough and determined lady, and I think she's doing a great job. Do you think that she is uh, facing uh, racism in some of the attacks against her? Uh, I, that that's not my my own view that it's racism. I think there's lots of political agendas going on. There are people trying to to bring her down, but uh, I think she's doing a brilliant job. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Oliver Dowd and his culture. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from six thirty on DAB Smart Speaker and online at TalkRadio.co.uk. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.